you're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Uh, as Josh mentioned, today is part one of a busy and full and exciting day. Uh, we're out at Brantingham this afternoon, so if you live out in that area, one of the West Villages, please come and join us then tonight. We're going to celebrate baptisms, which is uh, wonderful. We're in a series, a vision series called Making Room, and, uh, and today is, is part two. And really, this is in response to the tremendous growth that we're seeing as a church. And we want to make sure that before we make room in the physical, that we make room first in our hearts. And I ended with an invitation at the end of last week that I felt Jesus was um, asking of us as a church family and a church community. It was this, will you go low to grow? Will you go low to grow? And Next week, I really want to encourage you to be here, and the following week, we're going to have some significant announcements about uh, the future of the church, some really exciting things in the practical, but I want to just keep on pressing on the pedal in terms of uh, us making room in our hearts, and there are many things required to allow and enable growth, but I think the main thing uh, virtue, uh, characteristic, godlike quality that he wants to mark us as the whole vineyard church is humility. So I believe the pathway to making room, the pathway to growth is humility for us. And uh, our church is known by many things. It's known for a welcome, radical welcome. I hear that a lot. I hear that we're known for our generosity, our compassion, the sense of the Lord's presence uh, by many things. But humility, wow, I, I would love that to be something that he said of us as a church. That people come and they meet us as a church community. They come to our services. They come to one of our home groups. They come to one of our events. They come to an alpha course or whatever. And they pick up something in the atmosphere, in our hearts, in conversation, in the culture. And culture is something that's always um, felt and encountered and experienced. Is that that church is a humble church. That is a church marked by humility. And um, I'd love for us to lean into this, a culture of humility as a church. I'm reminded, as I was preparing this, of, of the story in 1 Kings 10 about the Queen of Sheba. And she'd heard of many wonderful reports of the reputation of Solomon. Um, and when she went there and visited him, it exceeded what she had heard. And I love that idea of that, hey, we may have a reputation for something, but actually when people come and experience it, it is even greater than the kind of what they'd heard on the grapevine. So it's not kind of a virtual reality experience, but this is who we are. And um, in essence, it's the opposite of hype. We never want to be a church that is centered on hype. And hype isn't... Um, People think hype is passion. No, we should be an extremely passionate church. We should be a church full of emotion. Just read the Psalms. 
Hype is about where there's no substance. Hype is when things are communicated and said and done, but actually there's not a reality to that passion. And we want to be a people of substance, that we mean it really with our hearts and with our words. And um, I'm not saying for one moment we won't avoid the accusation in our community of, of arrogance and pride at times. Jesus, the best and the most humble person that ever lived, as he walked the earth, he was tortured to death because he was accused of blasphemous arrogance. And so we'll, we'll never completely avoid it. If we're bold and confident in our faith and in the claims of Christ, I was in the, uh, uh, at the bank, I think it was on Friday, and I, I don't know what's going on right now in the atmosphere. We've been leaning into mission, but I'm just finding really, when we share our faith, we've just got to go for it. And we can share our faith really, really quickly. I was in the queue and this guy behind me just said something. I think, oh, that'll do. That's a way in. So I just went for it. I just said, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a, I'm a follow Christ. And Jesus says this. He, he's the way, the truth, and life. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. He's not all roads lead to the mountaintop. He is the only way to God. And if you want a relationship with him and you want an eternity with him when you die, then you need to... Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And uh, he was, I think he went to another bank after that. Um, no, he was pretty blown away. And, um, and so I shared with a little bit. Then I went to the, the counter and um, I had a piece of paper. So I asked the guy for a pen and I put in our, our church name. I said, look, go on YouTube, listen to our talks, look at our website, look at our social media platforms, come to church. And so um, I, I think this is a time, particularly when you think about all that's happening in the world right now. Uh, Post-pandemic, all that's going on in uh, the Ukraine, all that's going on in Israel, and that horrendous situation we should continue to pray into. These are turbulent times. Some of the marks of the end times, it talks about in the Bible, are people who are selfish. And so I think often our times are marked by people and who can we be that's a counterculture in our world today? We can be a people who are humble. We can be a people humble that goes against the grain of our society. And so, look, when we go for it, when we're bold, when we're courageous, when we say this is who Christ is, this is what we believe and we're passionate about it, look, we're going to get things thrown at us like Jesus. So I'm not saying we will avoid the things that Jesus avoided. There will be persecution, there will be pain, there will be difficult times, difficult seasons and days. But my prayer is that, is that God works this in us, there might be a kind of contagion that infects the church with this happy condition called humility. It's just working its way into us, the life of a church. And um, it seems to me almost impossible to overstate the, uh, how important, how pervasive humility does work in our lives. I was just thinking about faith. Would any of us uh, depend on, on Jesus as a weak, needy, sinful person if God hadn't already worked humility into our lives? It's impossible to have faith and dependence and trust in Jesus unless there's an aspect of humility that's been worked into our lives. What about worship? 
um, that, that we're made for him and we give everything to him with our lives and with our money and with our times and with our thoughts and our bodies if we've not been made humble. What about obedience, surrendering our autonomy and submitting that to the lordship of Christ? Wow, obedience, if God had not made us humble. What about love? We seek first the good of others before ourselves. So you can see there's nothing in the Christian life and relationship with Jesus that isn't being, um, the way isn't being paved through unless it's by humility. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What a, what a memory verse for your toilet door. I mean, if, if, imagine if we, you know, there's eulogies at our funeral, and that's the kind of thing they're saying about us. It's like, what a, what a statement, what a benchmark for our lives, what, what, a, what a vision, what a, what a goal to go for. And it's so easy, isn't it, to lose sight and lose a vision for humility because our culture is built around the opposite of humility. Platforms of pride. And I think it's really important as a church community, starting with me as the church pastor here, is that we take the plank out of our own eyes as the church before we point out the speck in our culture's eye. Because there are many, many unhealthy hallmarks in the church today which wars against humility. Let me just cite a few. The preoccupation with personality. The abuses of power, self-promotion through titles and gifts. What about this? Self-esteem as the main key to Christian living. I can't tell you how many pastors or podcasts I listen to who focus first and foremost on self-esteem. Now, self-esteem is important. Jesus said you've got to love God and you've got to love people as you love yourself. And it's what Romans talks about, having sober judgment. Again, not a popular phrase we use in our world today or terminology, but it's basically, I, I think of myself just right. I don't think of myself too much and I don't think of myself too less. But it's a sober judgment. I think with a sense of double hearing, that I'm nothing without Christ, but in Christ, I am royalty. And so we're going to hold, as we do, like kingdom tension all the time. Kingdom tension in our lives and in our identity. Motivation based on likes and popularity rather than truth. Charisma over character. These are some of the unhealthy hallmarks often found in church culture. And we need to war against those things. Humility means as a church that unless the Lord builds the house, we always labor in vain. Humility means that, as Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. So when humility is at the core, center of our church culture, these are the kind of things that will come to the surface. That Jesus is the head, he is the center, he is the chief cornerstone, and he can do whatever he wants with us. Every good thing in the Christian life grows in the soil of humility. 
without humility, every virtue, every grace withers. So as the church, as the Lord graciously widens our net, as the Lord graciously gives us influence, as the Lord gives us growth, we need to make sure that always our depth matches our influence and width. That we are committed as a church community to both being a church that is wide, but is also deep. And many churches go for, often, they're, they're polemic, they'll go for one or the other. We're, we're a deep church. And look, we've, we've got to be a deep church. We've got to be a church that's committed to good doctrine, good theology, the word of God. It's our plumb line, it's our boundaries, it's our safety net. It's so, so important that we're a mature church. I don't want to compete with, with Josh's story at the swimming pool. <laughs> I've got a few stories. I don't feel like, I'm not sure I can share it publicly just yet. Um, there was one time in France where they banned, if you've ever been to France, they banned swimming shorts. Did you know that? Which isn't great, and you don't speak the language, it's, it's a bit tricky. So they have a vending machine for swimming trunks. You know the, you know the type? <laughs> so, you know, back in the day where I'm from, Pontefrat, West Yorkshire, you, you, there was a vending machine where you'd get, you know, crisps and a chocolate bar. But in France, they're swimming trunks. You put B3 in and swimming trunks come out because they won't let you have swimming shorts. But if you ever go to a swimming pool, particularly when it's family time, there's always, always noise in the shallow end. There's never noise in the deep end. And so most noise that comes out in church life, gossip as one, immature emotional reactions to Maybe it'll help someone looked at you or someone said to you or someone wrote to you in an email. So many different things. It's because people are swimming around in the shallow end. And our commitment as a church is that we want to be a wide church. We want to be a church that's reaching as many people as we can for the sake of the gospel. But also we're committed to depth. And often it's in the deep end that it's quiet. It's people just doing their lengths they're just busy doing their lengths, busy keeping with good habits, keeping with patterns. They're just going about their business quietly and steadfastly without drama and chaos. And so as a church, can we commit to this? Can people look upon us as a whole vineyard church that, yeah, that's a church that's both deep and wide, that's robust in what it does and is committed to a culture of humility. It talks about 1 Timothy 3 that the church is supposed to be a pillar and a foundation. And so one is invisible, the foundation, and one is visible, the pillar. And we've got to be committed to both that where people see in the visible, visible like a pillar, they also is matched with the invisible strength of the foundation. The book of Acts, which saw... Um, incredible, expansive growth. You know, you, you read the book of Acts, it, it doesn't have five strategies how to grow a church. It never says, here, here were five new compassion strategies that we implemented to make a difference. It doesn't give tips on marketing or how to have the best welcome team or how to have the best music 
or the best coffee, anything like that. Now, all those things are important. They are important. But they are not the main and plain of church culture and church growth. What he does say is that the followers of Jesus need to tell an alternative story with their lives. A story marked by followers of Jesus who simply do the right thing because it is the right thing. Who are unconcerned with the allure of the world which has crept into the church. Which says, pursue worldly success and instant results and popularity and followers and profile. And so if we're not careful in the church, particularly in the Western world, we're in danger of aligning our value system with Instagram rather than the kingdom of God. And I want to submit to you this morning that that the Jesus way of changing the world happens through people like you and me over a lifetime of simply saying yes to ordinary things. That being ordinary is resistance. That God is raising up, I would say, a Jesus resistance in this hour And humility is a huge part of this. Humility sounds ordinary. You may have come to hear a vision series, part two, making room. John, what are you going to give us? And I'm saying, be humble. Be humble. And it sounds ordinary. It is ordinary. But in our culture right now, it is so extraordinary. It divides rooms. It divides meetings. It divides Zoom calls. It divides neighborhoods in a world which is focused on celebrity and self-promotion or who is the latest goat. Who's heard of the goat? <laughs> See, I'm in there. Don't think I'm just reading my Bible all day and I'm out of touch with reality. I have four children. The goat, the greatest of all time. Celebrity, if you look at it, there was a, a survey done on what teenagers want to do in, in, as a career. And the majority, the high percentage, they want to be a celebrity. And they want to be a YouTube star. Now, like I said a number of weeks ago, we should never, ever dissuade our kids from a life of adventure. And risk of faith and project our limitations onto our kids. But it's telling me something that in our addiction to emotional highs and that the grass is greener on the other side and there's always something better and if only somebody could like me and I could get that many followers or people could look at me in a certain way, I would be satisfied. Church, that is a lie. It looks great, it looks glossy, it looks normal, but it's a lie. And so we've got to raise each other into a place of radical humility. And humility is resistance in our world. It's a value, it's a Christ-like quality that we must lean into. Now what gives humility life? What gives humility oxygen, if you like? And I would say serving. Serving is absolutely paramount and key to bringing humility into your heart and into your life. And it's kind of like, it's one of the same thing. It's, if, if you seek to be humble, you do that through serving. As, as you serve, you will become more humble. It's kind of the way in. 
to the heart of God and to a posture of humility is through serving. And, you know, in the Christian life, uh, we live in tension. We also live by paradoxes. And there's this constant battle in our hearts. There's a proclivity to sin and to selfishness and to please ourselves versus selflessness and servitude. And the way of Jesus and the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's completely upside down. I read a story once about a, a, a robbery, a break-in, that occurred in a, a, like a Curry's, an electronics store. And it happened in the middle of the night, and the police responded to the alarm. The owner let them in. The police and the owner went through the store, but they didn't see anything missing whatsoever. Nothing seemed to be stolen. So, they, so everyone assumed the alarm had just gone off accidentally, and the owner locked up the store and went home. But in the morning, when the shoppers came, they discovered something really interesting about the merchandise. High-definition TVs were selling for £1.50. That's my kind of store and a cost-of-living crisis. Computer cables were selling for £1,500. Batteries were £400. Laptop computers were going for £4. And of course, what the thieves had done is that during the break-in, they'd switched the price tags on everything. And just when I thought, well, that's a really, no, that's not sure it's the best illustration. I was actually at a cafe this week where someone had put over the menu prices their own stickers. Because I went to the waitress, I said, this is unbelievable value. You get the big breakfast with unlimited tea and coffee for £3.50. I'm like, well, I'll have six of those, please. And she said, no, it's actually £12, but someone has decided to put £3.50 stickers. Anyway, if that was you, this is a safe place to come and confess your sin. <laughs> but we live in an upside-down kingdom when we follow Christ. And so it's, this is the idea, when you give more, when you commit to generosity you actually need a lot less. When you thank people more, and you thank God more, and you live in a place of adoration, praise, and gratitude, you actually want less. When there's more of God in your life, you're actually more selfless. So there's these things that we commit to in our discipleship, which works into our hearts and rearranges things. And everywhere in our culture says, no, that, that is not the way to the top. That is not the way to promotion. That is not the way to fulfillment and happiness. And Jesus just switches it all around. Why, why do we serve? And we often think service is, first and foremost, a, an act, a choice of actually doing something. And of course, it has an outworking of that, but we serve because that's who we are. We don't just serve because out of our actions, but we serve because that's who we are, because Jesus lives in us. And Jesus was the most radical, amazing, servant-hearted person. He is the humble king. He is the servant king. He talked about in this upside-down kingdom that the, the path to self-fulfillment really comes through self-denial. 
He says, if you want to be great, you don't self-promote, but you're actually a servant. And he's always inviting us and calling us to deny self and take on the very nature of a servant because he is a servant. And I don't know about you, but it, and we're coming into Christmas, aren't we, which is unbelievable. But this is, this is the beauty of Christmas. This is the message, the story, the narrative, the script of Christmas. It sounds so demeaning that the creator God would become a baby and would live among us in the circumstances that he lived and would take on our sin and our pain and our wrongdoing. And if that's you here today and you've often you've wondered what is this Christianity thing about and lots in our Alpha course exploring that right now. It's this, is that Jesus died, took on all our pain and wrongdoing, our selfishness, this thing that we're talking about. He took all the penalty and punishment for that so that we could be set free from that. We could have a relationship with him forever. This is Jesus descended to earth, humbling himself, lowering himself is all that he's ever done since the creation of the world. Why? Because if you think about it, there is nothing above God. You can't be greater than God. So all that he's done through successive acts of salvation is made himself low. He's made himself low for our sake. I've always wanted us to be a church and a people that reflect Jesus' servant heartedness, especially seen in John 13. We, we talk about this, that we put away our microphones and we wrap a towel around our waist, we fill up a bowl of water and we wash the feet of people. And I love that stunning story of when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Just think about it for a moment. In those days, those, those tables they had were so low. That's why they talk about they, they reclined at the table so that actually people's feet would somehow be quite near the other person's face. Just think about that. And they're walking around and they walk into the room and their feet are so dirty and, and, and dusty and sandy is that you'd have a foot washer there waiting for you and they'd wash your feet so that you could go and eat together. So imagine the disciples come in and there's no, there's no foot washer there. I don't know where they are, they're just not around. And the disciples' first thought is this, is this is too low a job for me. This is too demeaning for me. And so they go and sit at the table one by one and then comes Jesus. God himself comes, sees there's no foot washer, sees the disciples and begins to wash their feet. And basically models what life and ministry looks like in the kingdom. That this is actually what leadership looks like. And we're all called to be leaders in our communities. Discipleship is the new leadership in a post-Christian society. So as we lead through our discipleship, through an upside-down lens, is that we begin to wash people's feet. And what I want to say to you is if you want to start the journey, if you just feel like this world and my heart has become so cluttered about me, about my other priorities, about my distractions, about my life, about what's going on in my world, that you've forgotten what does it mean to be a servant? Where do you start? Where do you even begin? And you begin here. 
And all of Christianity begins here. You let Jesus serve you. Jesus wants to serve his people. He wants to wash your feet today. And you may think, I've got a lot, I've got a lot on Jesus. I've got a lot of clutter. I've got a lot of messed up thinking. I've got addictions. I've got a lot of struggles. I've got a lot of things warring in my heart and in my life. And Jesus just says, bring it on. Bring it on. Give me your heaviness. Give me your weariness. Give me your burden. Give it to me. Let me serve you. And when we allow Christ to serve us, wow, that makes such a difference in how we serve other people and how ultimately we serve him. There come a day when the division of the sheep and the goats, so it says that how we treated and served other people will be ultimately how we served and treated God. Why? Because service is actually worship. We may think, and I, know, I, I get it, that we've, we've said that worship is this thing we do for 30 minutes at the beginning of a Sunday service. But worship is actually when we bow the knee and we wash the, the feet of people in the church and outside the church. Day in, day out. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 8. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the interplay between humility and serving and worship just in those few verses? Don't get me wrong, serving when you do it, you lie your head on a, on a pillow at night and you you feel like you've served and partnered with God to change the world. And Proverbs talks about this. As we refresh others, we too are refreshed. There's something that it does in our hearts when we serve people. But our motive should never be about us when we serve others and serve God. And many people choose serving still in the church to look good. They choose serving to get a certain kind of reputation. If I only do this or I do that or prophesy over that person, I have some kind of connection with them and maybe subtle control in their lives and all of that is just so wrong. We serve like Jesus from a place of we're just gonna serve you because this is what Christ wants to do for you. I wanna serve you like Jesus would serve you right now. I am his hands and his feet. And it's the most beautiful thing. And so as I finish here, church, as, as we reach wider and further and create room, we need to go to the next level in our serve. And that means as a church family, we all do our bit. And we all have different giftings, we all have different 
anointings, if you like. We all have different ministries and roles. They're so diverse among us. But at the end of the day, Joni and I, we hosted a, a party at our house yesterday. And we, we all just got stuck in. You just do that. You just prepare the house. You prepare the home ready for people to come in, ready for guests. And you're all cooking and you're all cleaning and you're all tidying and you're all going to those unseen spots, you know, little cobwebs that found themselves. You know what I mean, yeah? I was toovering those because it's important. How we lay out our church, how we do the chairs, how we welcome people. The car park. I can't tell you how many people mention the car park team. You guys are amazing. Amazing. There are so many places and and ways you can serve in the life of the church, but it's really going to take all of us to go to a whole new level of serving in order to prepare the party, prepare the banquet for more people to come. Can I encourage us all to make more room in our hearts and in our lives and in our time and in our priorities in order to make room for those to come? And so often, I actually think we're booking the trend a little bit in this in our church, but what is so often the case is that uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so you'll have faithful people who will do, they're on like six, seven, eight rotors, and they just love it. But I'm like, that's too much. (laughs) Do you know what the dream would actually be is that we're all serving maybe in one or two ways? Because we've got a whole community to reach. We want to encourage you guys to reach people who don't know Jesus, to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. We've all got busy lives. And so that means that everyone playing their part, everyone mucking in, everyone doing something. So I want to encourage all of you, and we just put these on, the, on your seats with a pen. It's just a serve home card with name, email, phone. And if, if, if today you just think, Do you know, either for the first time, or maybe I'd like to increase, I'm in. I'd, I'd like to make room, help make room in this church for people to come. There are so many teams, so many places, so many um, different ministries where we would love for you to be involved in. Let me just finish with this challenge. If, if somebody were to describe you with the word always, what would they say? They're always doing such and such, or they're always doing this. What would other people be saying that you're always doing? They might say you're always encouraging. That person's so encouraging, they're always encouraging. They may say you're always complaining. They may say that person, oh, you're always negative. You're always so positive, which is so much is kind of negative. That's a joke, by the way. You're always finding fault or you're always finding good. You're always working. You're always working out. You're always sharing your faith. You're always scrolling on Instagram. What would other people say about you that you're always doing? And what I'd love for us as a church family to be this is that people would say of us, you are always humble and we're always serving. And we we can't find room for much else to say about you because that just sums you up. You're a church that radically serves 
and loves people. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.